Good day, everyone. Welcome to Your Self-Help Podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Melissus, and joining me today is Bobby Lewis, who is an amazing documentary filmmaker, as well as an inspirational Missouri State University professor. Bobby, thank you so much for being here. Oh, man, thank you, Josh, for having me. And I appreciate the, uh, the praise there, your vote of confidence on making films and whatnot. Now, you have a, a reputation in the film department for being a very positive person. And I was wondering, like, how did you get that way? Like, have you always been like this calm and positive? Or is there like a specific moment that kind of shaped you into who you are? Well, I appreciate you saying that, man. Uh, actually, I remember when I was a kid, I had a really bad temper. And, uh, you know, I grew up in church and nobody really saw that temper. And one day my mom did something that made me really mad. And I was just, I was on the phone with a friend of mine and uh, I realized that my mom did this thing. So I just started screaming at her and just started letting her have it. And the whole time my friend is on the phone, just yelling in the phone, like, Bobby, 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 you know. And when I realized he heard that side of me, I was mortified. And I thought, dude, I can't be this way. I got to be pissed all the time and be authentic to that or be the other way. And yeah. so I, uh, that was a moment when I realized that you can have these personas and these sort of superficial veneers that you hide under. And it, it, it really kind of creeped me out. Um, my mom happens to be the most positive person I've ever met by default. Um, so she really just sort of uh, inspired me to pursue that and aspire to that. Um, and I think positivity is sort of like taking a shower. Um, you don't just do it once in your life and then you're good. <laughs> you know, you have to regularly sort of take a shower if you want to stay clean. Um, I think positivity in, in that sense is a proactive thing that you sort of chase. So, I mean, um, it's something that I aspire to. Yeah. I, I mean, I can, I can relate to like what you said because I, uh, you know, I, I have ADHD and all that. And I, as a kid, I was just like wild, just like bouncing off the walls and all that. Um, have I changed since then? Well, I, I kind of hope so. I don't know. But uh, I hope, I mean, I hope to like, like reach a level like, like one day. But, oh, well, uh, you know, that you're, that's nice of you to say so. I, I don't think if it, in terms of levels, man, I, um, I think about it in terms of what, sort of what we're faced with as people. And when you're on this conveyor belt of life as a kid, you're just sort of soaking it all in. You think uh, everybody has the answer uh, that's older than you. Um, you're sort of just waiting for your moment. And then your moment comes and you're like, how come nothing's happening? <laughs> how come I'm still at this job that doesn't pay anything? And then you add a decade or two onto that and you're not doing what you wanted to do. It's very easy to be uh, negative and jaded. But, you know, my path has been one of uh, uh, intense loss with, like, people that have been close to me. So it's sort of jolted me into this space of where if you want to be uh, positive, you've got, you have to dispel the myth of happiness, which is sort of this fleeting emotional thing. It's like you have a box of nerds candy and, you know, you're, like, stoked. And then the sugar crash comes and you're all bummed out. You know, that's not happiness. People are always sort of disrupting their lives because they say, 
I'm just not happy. And it's like a mic drop, and then they just let everything <laughs> implode, you know? Uh, happiness is, uh, I think I saw it was on uh, a news broadcast. Um, Denmark, they say they're the most content people because they never get their hopes up, so they're never disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that was pretty funny. Um, so happiness, I think, is this fleeting thing, like sadness. Uh, contentment is really, I think, the most important thing that we should be aiming toward. Yeah, because, like, happiness is, is uh, I don't know, because people always put the happy, their happiness into the wrong things. You know, they think that once they get this, that it's going to, like, stay like that. And yeah. how I get through my day is, like, I have to take happiness in small doses. Like, you know, like, I know this is corny, but, like, appreciate, like, the little things, you know? No, it's not corny so, at all. No. To me, that's the that's the real muscle in, in being positive. Because um, it's easy to not even see those things. I you heard, you know, the saying, take it one day at a time. Uh, years ago, when I lost my family in a car accident, my mom and dad and my sister... I was sort of just blown away that, you know, I was on the texting my mom and then the next thing I could text her, but she wouldn't answer, you know, and it was really hard for me to wrap my brain around the finality of that and the immediacy of that. And it was during that time I realized like, man, happiness really is a choice. Like you can either view life glass half full or glass half empty. And we don't have today. We have the moment. Yeah. That, it, it took losing three people very close to me to come to that determination, to realize it is embracing the little things. So kudos to you for, you know, having that insight because it's the most obvious things in life that we completely just miss. And they're so simple, we don't acknowledge them. That's ah, too easy. It can't be that easy, you know. But I find those small, simple truths are probably the hardest things to digest <laughs> yeah at least for me yeah because it's like easier said than done and yeah it's so hard at first it's so hard to like put that in practice but like once you like start doing it on a daily basis it can get like somewhat easier I yeah think. it sort of becomes like a habit yeah in some ways. yeah that's that's the important thing is like to make like replace those negative habits with 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 positive ones, with good ones. Totally, man. What are what is like some of your positive habits? Well, I think all of us sort of fight this uh, I, this thing, negative sort of self talk. It's like a feedback loop. It exists in your head. It may be something negative that you experienced. Somebody said something. Somebody said something to you, and it it sort of just circulates back there, and you you. You sort of grab onto it. Next thing you know, you're having an imaginary like lightsaber fight with this person, you know. <laughs> and of course, you win. Uh, I remember working at a at this uh, company in Seattle, and I walked over to a friend of mine who was sort of just staring off in the distance, and I was like, "Hey, dude, are you pretend fighting?" He's like, "Of course." And I just laughed. I'm like, "You do that too?" You know, sort of this joke that we all pretend fight, but I. Uh, I realized one morning getting up, like if I had a negative thought, if I let it stay in my head and sort of just ran off with it, it would sort of set the tone for my day. So that took practice, man, because it's not hard to find a negative thought. If somebody's gone out of their way maliciously to hurt you or somebody said something that 
was wasn't sort of like an honest mistake. They actually tried to wound you. Those things can just hang out in your in your mind forever. And I think it's a daily thing. I think when you have that just that and it could be from a bad sleep. You could already be sort of uh, in a position to think negatively because you had a horrible sleep and you had a bad dream or something. You you know, you slept weird and your back's hurting. <laughs> you know, all that stuff could kind of accumulate. So for me, the uh, habit is like is acknowledging the negativity and then just like shutting it down. Going, I'm just not even going to think about it. And from a practical standpoint, I remember uh, when I was in high school, I told my dad, I was like, Dad, I just don't feel right. You know, something's wrong. I, and I was, it was very heavy to me. I thought it was like some sort of like identity crisis or something. And he's really funny. He goes, Bub, how long did you sleep last night? And I was like, oh, maybe like two hours. He's like, have you had breakfast? Have you exercised? Like, he just kind of went down this list. And I went, no, no, no. And it it just sort of made me realize, like, yeah, we take ourselves way too seriously. Often it's just the practical approach that can sort of, like, fix these things. So for me, getting enough sleep, even though sleep deprivation is an, an incredible tool for creative pursuits, <laughs> I found. But it, lack of sleep also leads to prediabetes and things like that. Yeah. Um, and then getting up uh, after good sleep and doing like high intensity exercise, just quick bouts of exercise every morning. Just, you don't have to do it every morning, but it's sort of routine. Um, it's sort of habit. And that's how the day starts, you know? And then you just sort of like go through the day and I don't want to say not take everything serious because, you know, life is serious, but taking everything in stride, like sort of like a grain of salt, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, Pareto's principle, the whole idea of like 20% of the effort, 80% of the result, you know, it's this notion of uh, working uh, smarter, not necessarily harder, you know, Um, and I think you can do that in the way you just sort of approach your day and the way you manage your thoughts. So like, how do you maintain that positivity? Like if you're having like a really like stressful day like a day like that where you don't even want to get out of bed well um i don't all the time i mean sometimes you you have those days where it's like i'm just this was one of those days yeah i will say that and this is important to know that like when you think about yourself you're fated to be disappointed i mean it's just it's just gonna happen i found that putting myself in a situation where i think about others is a game changer if so having a son for example i I don't have time to focus on me i'm thinking about him the moment i think about this thing that i'm thinking about next thing you know he's asking me for something or he needs something it's a large benefit to teaching i mean i have people all the time asking me for help i'm not thinking about myself so if it's not your natural inclination to think about others you can hack it and get a job or do something where you are constantly helping others it's it's wonderful man it's that whole idea of it's better to give than to receive yeah. we all know that it is you know the giving the receiving is great because oh man i got this new awesome thing but it you know then you want that the next awesome thing but to give somebody something and to see that sort of transformation and you see that you actually made a difference 
that's like priceless. Yeah. So if you engage and have a lifestyle that caters to that, and I'm fortunate that I'm in a job that lets me do that, um, it bolsters that sense. And so you're, if you're thinking about yourself, you're always going to be sort of in an argument against this phantom notion of who you think you should be. And it's sort of informed by just your life. You never really sit there and construct this thing to badger you. It's just this thing that sort of develops in the background. And often if you were to articulate what that persona is, you'd find that you don't even like connect with it. it so sometimes it helps to actually voice these things that we think we want to be. So for example, I wanted to be the next Jimi Hendrix. I should have looked in the mirror and knew that that wasn't possible, but you know, he, he was my guitar idol. And I tried you know, relentlessly to be that. And then one day I go to this club in Seattle, it's called the 700 Club. And uh, this guy, he was this huge guy, uh, didn't look like a guitar player, Al Rowe, uh, fantastic guitarist. He's there, maybe five people are in the audience. Tony Coleman, a BB King's uh, drummer, was playing with them. And this guy mopped the floor with the guitar. I mean, the guy was incredible. He had this big cell phone on his belt. I'm like, this guy's going to be terrible, you know? And uh, he was so good, I couldn't play guitar for a month. And when I did, I sort of eked out this G chord and was like, I just winced in pain because I could, <laughs> could feel how bad I was in comparison. So I laid that burden down. I decided that that was a, a character I wanted to be. And uh, Jimmy existed because Jimmy was Jimmy. Yeah. If I try to be Jimmy, it's just a cheap version of that. And I think in that lesson, I realized that we have to figure out what our voice is. That's our number one challenge. And then when we hear that voice, it's going to sound weird because it's not like anybody else's. So often our first inclination is to squelch that voice and try to do something else because it's embarrassing. It doesn't sound right. It, it, it's original, but it feels foreign. That's, that's once you feel that it's usually a good indicator of like, no, no, that's your voice. That's the voice you need to actually nurture and pursue because nobody has that voice except for you and that's when you can contribute something of value if jimmy had tried to be uh albert king or one of these other guitarists he would have sounded like those guys but he was himself and he influenced you know other people that have tried to be him you know and it's not until you go and figure out what you're supposed to do with that do you do have your own sort of song um to play so well, damn, now I feel inspired. Well, good, man. That'll be $5.30. <laughs> you could transfer the, the, the Bitcoin or whatever, Doge. I don't know if that's valuable anymore. Actually, speaking of your music, I I listened to uh, your late, your newest album, uh, Mighty Was Your Light, and uh, one of the tracks that stood out to me was Los Angeles, and there's a lyric that goes, you know, save me from this town. And... Uh, how would you like describe your experience in LA? Like overall, like was it a positive or was it a negative experience or just like something in between? Well, that song really is, uh, that lyric is more of a metaphor um, because I find myself singing that and it's not really uh, representative of an actual like location. It's okay. often a state of mind or place. And when I wrote that, it was actually in Corpus Christi um, and then when I went to L.A., uh, I realized that needs to be called Los Angeles because I, I thought of that a lot. Like how 
the idea behind that song is there's a game happening and I'm old enough to know that now, but I'm not interested in playing it anymore. And so what do I do? Where do I go? You know, do I just sort of bury my head in the sand and wait for death? You know, am I just supposed to just be? Um, L.A. was interesting because I and before I went there, I would joke with my students. They're like, you're going to like the utopia, you know, the end of the earth, uh, the best place ever. And that's sort of the attitude I went there with. And I had a swagger when I walked in that town, man. I, I thought, oh, man, here I am, you know. And it immediately, like, my ego was decimated. <laughs> it didn't take long. Uh, I, re- I wasn't viewed in the way that I thought I would be viewed. Nobody cared. I was uh, so, uh, what's that? It's that Bon Iver song, uh, I'm Not Magnificent, um, that lyric. Um, n- everything I, I sort of, like, identified with, nobody really cared. So it was a joke. And... I learned how it worked there in terms of the industry. It was a lot of random nepotism. You know, it's it's not so much who you know, but when you know them, you know. Um, I met uh, an editor just randomly in a bar, uh, and I was sort of grappling about how I couldn't get work, and I was trying to figure out what to do. And uh, I was talking to this AE on a show, assistant editor, and he chimes up, and he's like, you know, sometimes I'm on the 405, I want to blow my brains out, but tonight, I'm glad I'm in, in L.A., and I'm going to help you, man. And uh, he did, and it was that easy. Um, and so it's sort of the work sort of just happened from there. But it was really, it, was of, uh, it wasn't because of the films I made. It wasn't because of my degrees. It was from uh, meeting people and getting a sense that it's a lot more social than anything um in fact a guy there told me he's like you know the magic formula for success in la producer there said you know it's 95 percent how good of a hang you are three percent um uh luck and two percent creative (laughs) and so all of that swirling around in my head left me with this idea that um I, i love the weather but I didn't connect with the industry in the way that I thought I would. I learned that lesson about laying down my burdens and sort of just uh, destroying my idols like Jimi Hendrix. I realized that Jimi was Jimi and I needed to be me. Um, And that was a hard pill to swallow. I'm in Burbank. I'm editing a TV show. I'm making more money than I've ever made in my life. And I'm completely dissatisfied. And it was while I was in L.A. working on a film, uh, this uh, actress who uh, came up to me, um, she asked if I could give her some tips on using a mirrorless camera. And I did, and we talked for a little bit, and she walked away, and I thought, dude, I really enjoyed that. And she makes more money probably uh, in a, a day than I do in a year. And I didn't do that for money, and it felt great. So it was in that moment I realized, hey, maybe teaching is something that I could do for free and feel rejuvenated by it and then get paid. Because in L.A., my music, my films, all of that stuff is is sort of made from my heart. After I showed her how to use that camera, I, I realized, like, man, I could do this for free. This is something that I like. And that's when I sort of had my epiphany there. If you are doing something that you love, it's because you love it. It's not because you're necessarily getting paid 
for yeah. it, you know. And when I was in LA, I was editing and I was shooting, but I was not making things that I wanted to make. So even though I was so close to doing the thing that I wanted to do, I was even farther away from what I wanted to do in reality because I wasn't doing it in the way I wanted to do it. And so there, there sort of came the bomb of truth where I realized like music, that's something that I'll play because it, it calls to me. Like I, I've tried not to do it, I've, especially in LA, I didn't really do it. I tried not to, but it's there for you. It, it's uh, sort of like a breeze that sort of takes your breath away unexpectedly when you walk outside. It's that, that little flash of sun on your cheek that makes you feel alive. You know, when you're doing something that you're meant to do, you will do it for free. Yeah. So if you can do a job that you will do for free, then what's that saying, like uh, turn your love into your vocation, never take a vacation kind of a deal? It doesn't drain you, and so you have something left over for your creative pursuits. So teaching, I'm fortunate, man. I'm so blessed because I'm able to spend my time trying to help. And I can do it from this position of like, I don't know everything. And I, I know I don't know everything. And all I can do is hopefully maybe give you something that will help you. And at the end of the day, I have emotional energy to pick up the guitar and play. When I was in LA, I was trying so hard to connect with the material that I was putting out for TV and film or whatever, but I couldn't. So it was totally draining. I had nothing to give. So that was a hard pill to swallow being in Burbank, being in a position as an editor only really a little over two years in, and I'm sitting alongside people that had been in the game for 10, 15 years, and I'm there because I saw the matrix. I saw how it worked in LA. It was like getting thrown into a washing machine on spin cycle, a washing machine on spin cycle, like, and then I figured out how it worked, um, and I had to leave because it wasn't right. And so coming to Springfield... It sort of uh, just took me uh, aback because when I screened my students' first films in my cinematography class, I felt that spark in me again. And I joked with them, but it wasn't a joke. I'm like, man, I can't believe I had to leave Los Angeles to come to Springfield, Missouri to get inspired. And I play those same two films uh, in my class every semester, even though that was several years ago. And it almost makes me cry when I watch them because they're so sincere. They're, it's perfect, you know, and it's the thing that I had before I went there and I was trying to make something out of, uh, I was trying to force my way through. Yeah. Some people live in LA and they do, they do their thing and they're, they, they love it and that's great. I think it just reiterates the fact that we're all totally different, you know. We shouldn't underestimate the, the nuance of what it means to be ourselves you know whether it's physical spiritual emotional whatever we're all unique in a, in a way that um, can only connect with certain things so yeah what what kind of advice would you give your students who want to be like more positive especially those who like who are working on you know projects and, and productions I would say just very practical advice. Like most of the time I have students in my classroom, you can tell they haven't slept in I don't know how long, you know, they're just jacked up. Uh, my advice would be try to take care of yourself. Yeah. 
Now, I, I understand like when you're 20 or whatever, you do feel invincible and you start to feel it when you get older. I remember driving from Vegas to Seattle once straight. It was like 23 hour drive. <laughs> so that was brutal. I laid down, I felt like my heart was just gonna explode because I was just running on adrenaline. Um, I would say, you know, take care of yourself. Try to get some sleep. Um, watch what you're putting in your body. Uh, exercise. Uh, and there's, you don't have to go to the gym. You can do like a quick high intensity exercise session where you're just doing concentric and eccentric, very slow moving push ups, pull ups, squats, that sort of thing. It has enormous benefit at the mitochondria level with your body immunity all that stuff it's wonderful um so it's a very it's like that again that 2080 rule where you're you're not investing an hour at the gym you're just investing a little bit of time you know you don't need any equipment um that's how i go through my day and from there you know that that's kind of a habit so that's enough to tackle at first um and give yourself the benefit of the doubt if you feel terrible um, then it's okay to grieve, you know, it's okay yeah. to, it's, I think the most important thing about the discussion of positivity is that we're not saying that you should ignore what you feel. It's yeah. not a way of going, oh, I'm not going to acknowledge that, but we do have to be careful about what festers in our hearts and yeah. what's in our mind. Um, cause if it's just like, if, cause it's, it's not. It's not a good thing to tell someone who's like you know dealing with grief. Just oh, be positive. Because, oh, it's horrible. Because yeah. that's I think um, this is a, this is a term for a to- toxic positivity. Yeah. Know? So no, I think that's right. Um, and so that's you know empathy goes a long way. And when you feel something, then you can experience that pain with somebody else. If somebody comes to me and says, "Hey, I lost my brother," I can relate. You know, I really yeah. can. I feel that. And it also it's like a perception thing too because. You know, people always view like grief, I guess, as a negative thing. But yeah. it's it's really you can view it as a good thing. It's a yeah. good thing because it's just like what you're, you know, for sure, something natural that happens to you after after losing someone close to you. So. Yeah, and I think on the same note, like positivity doesn't necessarily have to be like you'll be all yeah, right. Yeah, it would like a cheery. You know, it can be thing. just a gentle yeah. uh, sort of just acknowledgement. Like, um, I know you're hurting. I'm sorry. If there's anything I can do for you. Um, for what it's worth, I went through the same thing, and I'm telling you, it's going to be okay. You yeah. know, that's positive too. Um, Rob Jackson, professor I talked about, he he called the human language nothing more than mere grunts and whistles, <laughs> and I love that because how many times have you tried to articulate what you're trying to say? Exactly. And you kind of fashion the words just so, and you get it out there. And of course, academics are notorious for this. You know, it's always you know. Lot, it's very verbose half, most of the time when people are talking and but it never feels like you quite nail it you know so a lot of times uh, words don't can't really uh, words can't really capture a lot of this stuff it's it's more about action you know it's more about uh, what you do um, the energy that somebody can feel from you you can smile at me all day long and be just like searing hate through your eyes you know <laughs> And that's what I walk away from. That was a lesson I learned in LA. You know, I'd go for a job interview and I had my sports jacket on, I had my films under my belt and all this stuff. And I could feel the energy shift in the room. They hated me. They wanted me out of there within seconds, you know, and I couldn't figure it out. So 
the energy, the, the, the attitude that you carry about somebody, that, that is the, what matters um, less so than how you frame it with a word or whatever. But take everything I say with a grain of salt. It took me like two decades to finish my degree. I was in a Christian rock band with a, a fake Doc Martens and had a Charlie Brown shirt and hair down to my middle of my back and could barely but, play guitar. I mean, life is a journey, right? And like, <laughs> yeah. thanks for passing over that, by the way. And like, it, it's interesting too because because you mentioned earlier that we're not defined by like you know how we look and all that. And it made me realize that, like, no matter, like, how much you, like, evolve as a person, like, you still have those bits and pieces of, of your past, mm -hmm. you know, in you. Yeah, totally. So. And I used, I used to get really jaded about that. And as I get older, I recognize things that my dad did. Like, my dad would make certain, he would say things and uh, enunciate in a way that I'm starting to. And then when my son was born, I noticed him doing things that I've always thought were just me. And now he's doing them. And I thought, man, we beat ourselves up from an early age because, you know, I'm thinking those are things I didn't like about myself. But now I'm seeing he's doing them. I didn't teach him because he's just born, you know. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that as you get older, you start to sort of embrace those quirks and those weird things and i don't know i'm fine with that you know um i'm fine with uh, not being magnificent i'm fine with not being perfect i'm fine with not being Jimi hendrix you know if reincarnation exists maybe i can be the next well i want to be the drummer for that band deer hoof that guy he's yeah. amazing uh, <laughs> but no no I, you're right you know we do sort of carry it along with this yeah we're like a mosaic you know by the end of this life we were just this tapestry of experiences and, and it, it's it's still a good thing because you know even though if you've like mis made mistakes like in the past and all that and that you know even though that follows like with you when you're like evolving you can look back at that as a, as a, as a good thing you know yeah so it's just like well this is where i was in life and like now like I'm someone who has like learned so much along the way. Oh man, thank goodness for that. I mean, yeah. I remember being, you know, in my town of Post, Texas, performing Christian rap with a uh, strobe light behind me, wearing like a neon sweater. I weigh like 30 pounds because I live on a diet of like Talsips, these like 32 ounce Cokes. You know, <laughs> they're like Christian rapping for all the rednecks driving around on the square. They're driving in their trucks like, what the hell, you know? <laughs> total disconnect you know i need to work on my messaging for my audience um yeah so i look back at that time and i'm, I'm just like cringe you know but and i say that i i cringed at one point but not anymore because it's part of the journey you know um i understand where i was coming from and the motive behind it um, but just had no context <laughs> what was that george harrison lyric the farther one travels the less one really knows um that to me that sums it up you know if you ever want a lesson in like how to think about life just visit george harrison's music you know he'll tell you all the stuff that it's kind of bugging you on the inside that you can't articulate you know oh yeah you know so and he was a beetle yeah <laughs> i should start like getting back into uh beetles music because well because 
lately I've been listening to like a lot of like Tame Impala, which is probably like my favorite like music thing oh, ever yeah. because it's like it's like the Beatles mixed with like like seventies psychedelic rock. You yeah, know? man, it's, my wife it's loves Tame Impala. I I I dig that guy's approach, man. It's just a uh, he just has a, a room full of gear like this yeah. room here, and. Uh, just records you know off the cuff and then sends it to some guy to mix and whatnot and uh yeah i dig his style yeah i know i know that i'm gonna be okay every day like when i listen to some tame and paul so. oh yeah man yeah listening to music listening to music is a bit trans i mean it sort of t- takes you to another place yeah um and i think that may be why i shut myself off from it for a while because it was making me having I had to acknowledge certain things I didn't want to. You know, you meet these people. They sort of go through life with blinders on, and there's this hard exterior, um, and they're just cold, you know. Um, That's all of us. All of us can be that. We are all capable of doing horrible things and and good things. Um, And so I think that's why it's important to just stay honest with what you're feeling in, in your heart and then take it from there. So uh, before before we end the episode, I want to ask you two last questions that I ask everyone. Uh, what is something that has brought you immense joy today? Uh, today? Yeah. On this day, uh, it would just be hanging out with my son. I love that boy. You know, he gives me hugs. Uh, have our, we have our breakfast routine. He watches uh, this, like, Super Mario Brothers thing that he's into on his iPad and... Uh, I give him his breakfast, and he's sitting there eating, and uh, all interactions with him. Basically, it, it when I was in L.A., I had this moment where I took him to the park. I wouldn't get any work. I laid down this blanket, uh, laid this blanket down, and put these little yogurt chips on there, and he was like two-ish. And he looked at me and smiled, and there's a lyric uh, in one of my songs where I vanished that day. A, a breeze of sunshine smiled through him. And I realized that my purpose in life uh, was to love, be kind, but it was to be his papa. That was it. Now my identity is papa. It's not any of this other stuff I wanted. So my world revolves around that guy. Um, So today, all of my interactions with him has been awesome. (laughs) Even though that sometimes means he kicks me in the groin at, at night, he'll just like kick me in the back and I'm on a heating pad for the week. It's all good. (laughs) <laughs> and then uh what is something that you need to work on uh something i need to work on well i think i think well this is hard to answer because oftentimes the things i need to work on are things that i'm not aware that they needed work so i don't i'm and I don't know if everybody's that way, but my problems generally are not problems I see until they're problems that I'm sort of in the back end of solving. I would say specifically it's the same problem that I've always had, and that is um, taking stock of my thoughts, being mindful of what's coming in, and partitioning them in the places that they need to be. And so for me, for an example, are we at the end of the world right now? It sure feels like it, <laughs> you know, <laughs> with all that's going on. 
and I worry, I worry a great deal about my son. I'm, I'm not worried about myself. I'm worried about my son. I'm worried about this world and what we're, I mean, what, like what's happening in Australia right now, you know, um, what, what, what world is he growing into? And this comes back to a belief in God. It was, I was, I felt like I was going to be crushed by this worry at one point. And I finally just conceded, like, do you believe or do you not believe? It's sort of a piss or get off the pot moment. And I realized I didn't want to believe because it was convenient and easy. I wanted to believe because I want to believe. And I finally went, you know, I'm 47. I, I need to just plant a flag. And I need to do it based on what I feel in here, my gut. I believe. And I don't know why. I don't, I don't even have the answers, but I, I believe. And so with that belief comes this sort of offer of trust. Do you trust your creator to take care of it? Is your son going to be okay? And I have to go, yes, he's going to be okay. And there's a funny little statement that somebody once said, none of us are going to make it out of here alive, but none of it's fatal. You know. <laughs> so for me, it's trust. It's trusting, um, trusting God. That would be something that I struggle with because I want to take care of things. And again, I want to reiterate, my, I, I, I never used language like this for the longest time because I didn't want to alienate people. I grew up um, as somebody that was always trying to convert, you know. So I'd always sort of hem-haw around it and sort of skirt certain language. But um, I don't believe that my strength comes from myself. You know, I don't believe that positivity innately comes from me. I think I have to look for an example for help. I would say every day refreshes. You get up, you know, you just sort of take care of your body that's just wired with all kinds of chemicals to send you one way or the other. And, you know, if you pigged out on some just, uh, my friend calls it a dirty snack the night before, you're going to feel horrible that morning. So rem remember that. Give yourself the benefit of the doubt. Like, oh, I feel crappy because I ate that thing, that that meat-filled donut thing or whatever, you know, I got for a dollar. Um, that, that was free when I got the tank of gas. Um, and then just go from there. Yeah. Man. We were so, like, insightful and just, just full of wisdom, aren't you? Well, let me just give you my <laughs> credit card. How much do I owe you for that? You know, I had to pay to be on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, Bobby, thank you so much for being here. Oh, yeah, man. Thank you. I, I really appreciate it. And uh, everyone, make sure to check out Bobby's uh, new album, Mighty Was Your Light. You can check it out at bobbytlewis.com. Yeah. And, uh, and thank you so much for watching and listening. I hope you all have a very beautiful day. And uh, make sure to take care of yourselves. And, because if you don't, I will be sad. And I'll be sad, too. Yeah. <laughs> Peace.